and welcome to Behind the Mask. I'm one of your co-hosts, EJ, and joining me today is Lori. Hello. T. Hey, everyone. And Kathy Alley. Hi. This episode is 27, which we're calling the Masks of Caregiving. And we'll be talking about a little bit about caregiving, but slightly on a different phrase than what we usually use caregiving for. Um, just a friendly reminder that anything used in this podcast is not to be used as a diagnosis or replacement for discussions with your own doctors, medical professionals, psychologists, or therapists. Um, so for um, our guest today is Kathy Alley. Lori and I met her uh, about two years ago in an actors writers group that we're a part of. And she is a nutritionist. She's um, created the Alleyway, which we'll share information for um, at the end of the podcast that you can check out if you're interested. Um, she's kind of does the holistic. She's also just finished uh, school for psychology. Psychology <laughs> sounds good. And yeah, so we just wanted to have her on. Uh, she has a great um, story to tell with um, some experience she had for about ten years taking care of her dad, and just the the needs and wants of somebody you're taking care of. Um, I definitely have experience in that area as well. So I'm looking forward to this podcast and, you know, we'll uh, just uh, sit back and relax and enjoy what we're here to talk about. So, Lori, do you have any uh, intro you want to share? Before um, you I just want to say, you know, I'm really excited that you're here, Kathy, and um, I'm really actually excited to, um, because both you and T have this psychology background, you know. Of course, specializing in trauma and the brain. And, um, you know, I just think it's going to be great to have all of this knowledge right here at our fingertips and ready for the discussion. And um, looking forward to seeing how we all, you know, interact together and talk about how most of us women lose ourselves in caregiving. And, and, whether it be family or whether it be friends, whether it, you know, we just, it's part of our nature as women to be caregivers. We, we have that nurturing, we're created that way. Um, we have to be because, you know, we have children and, you know, spouses and partners and, you know, all of these different things. Um, and, and God made us so that we could be this way, right? But we really can get lost in it. So Kathy, on that note, I'm excited to turn it over to you. I'd love it if you'd share a little bit about your story and yourself, and then we'll have some great conversation. Sure, yeah. First of all, I wanna say thank you so much. I'm so excited that you guys were willing to do this topic because it's so near and dear to my heart. And, and I was like ecstatic because like you said, all of us have um, a background in this because just being women, but like we all have a different role, which I'm really excited to get into. Um, in that because there are so many aspects to caregiving. I've learned a lot um, in my practice. Which I call myself a wellness guide because that's the best thing to kind of encapsulate it because um, on the holistic end, I do, you know, like grief. I do, um, I do physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, you know, and so I've learned so much in the guides, uh, in the mask of caregiving or the role of caregiving and, the, and beyond that. And so um, I kind of, where to start? <laughs> said a little bit, I'll try to do a little bit. But um, like you said, maybe there's this expectation in society with women that we are the caretakers. We are the ones that are, I guess, naturally nurturing. 
I remember back as far as I want to say 10 years old, I remember making a decision in my life that like, I'm going to have to take care of my parents. Like, I don't know. <laughs> that, I don't know if that was just because of the roles I've seen in, in my family or whatever, but like I made a decision. Like I just realized that that was going to be a part of my life growing up. And I kind of shaped my life around that um, kind of in expectation, like this is coming. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to take care of my mom the way that I had hoped to. Um, there's a many variables around that that kind of uh, caused me to not be able to uh, carry that out. But um, I was able to take care of my dad, like EJ said, for 10 years, almost to the day, like to the month. Um, exactly. And um, it was at a time where I guess it, you don't expect to be taking care of your parents in such a young age. I think I started when I was, um, I want to say early 30s. Um, oh no, I'm gonna date myself because I'm gonna give you a year now, but whatever. <laughs> it was back in 2004. Um, my mom had passed in 2003 uh, from metastasized breast cancer, unfortunately. Uh, put up the good fight. Um, God extended her life longer than uh, doctors thought, and I was very grateful for that. But um, after that, things started to just kind of roll along in the tragedy realm. <laughs> my brother was killed and who was very close to her, like not even like a year later. And then, so that caused me to have to take care of my dad. I mean, it was expected that I would take care of my brother because um, he was living with my dad at the time. But when my mom passed, like you said, I didn't realize how, even in cancer, even with having stage four bone cancer, how much she was needed by my brother and my dad. It was just like, and how much she did. Like, I was like, <laughs> I was in awe, like of her strength, you know, being able to do that because when it came down to it, um, I was like, what? And I tried not to, one of the first things that I realized, I tried not to put myself into her role because I saw that where, where it ended up, unfortunately, you know, giving her cancer. So that was the first challenge that I had to face was like, okay, how am I gonna place myself in this role of caregiver? and not um, have it, um, I guess, uh, lack of a better word, metastasized into, you know, it, it then, you know, becoming something where I become sick because um, that's where, because um, we all in relationships have, you know, uh, people we depend upon, people depend upon us, and, you know, and there's gotta be this give and take, but when it's, when it's put on one person too much or they're not getting like that balance, that holistic balance that I really, I help people to get in their life. It's going to um, manifest in um, what we call dis-ease in the body. The body's not at ease anymore. It's not, there's no homeostasis. So that saying, one of the things I realized, I'm like, okay, how is this gonna work? And so I, I decided to take my dad in with me into Manhattan. Um, he was in New Jersey. It was, uh, it was a whirlwind of stuff because I not only, after my brother had passed, I was basically, unexpectedly, he was murdered. And I had a metaphysical reaction, I called it at the time. This is back in 2004. So there really wasn't much information um, on like trauma and how it affected the body, um, a brain, mind. Um, and so I just finished nutrition school, I remember, and I was just, you know, reading a lot of books and I came across um, Dr. Sarno, if you have ever heard of him. He was a leading back specialist in the 80s and he's the one who pretty much found, you know, the, the cause of pain in the body caused by um, repressed emotions. And so needless to say, uh, right after my brother was killed, I was in the hospital because I basically, how it manifested in my body, I couldn't walk. 
And um, so I couldn't take care of my dad right away, but in a matter of like four to six months later, I was able to because, um, but I was still trying to get myself out of the wheelchair and everything. I won't get into the whole mess of like timing and why, and because that was a whole nother, you know, being in a nursing home and looking uh, at the care that was there, <laughs> even fortified even more so, um, why I didn't want to put my dad in um, a nursing home. And there were periodic times that I had to, you know, to kind of set up my life. Um, and it was interesting because you think, you know, okay, they, they've been around for a while, but like real quick, my dad was in a nursing home before I was able to take him in for two months. Uh, and in a matter of two months, he was in and out of the hospital three times. And I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> like, why is, why is he in the hospital? And um, so I was glad to get him, you know, before anything serious happened. And um, so through all of that, I not only was getting myself back to health, I took my dad in. As I said, this is around 2005. I think it was like May. And it was just a myriad of um, things that I needed to, I guess, change in my life. Um, I, you know, I, I, I tried to hold on to like, you know, what it was that I was already doing, you know, having a full-time job. I think I was working in a, um, a fertility clinic at the time, um, in nutrition and, um, but it was this, I guess, evolution of, okay, what decisions am I going to have to make that, um, now are concerning my dad? Like, like my, my mental capacity was like, okay, every decision that I made had him in mind and I know like when you have kids and I never had kids so I didn't know that mentality so I had to kind of wrap my head around that mentally physically like I said I was trying to get myself back into um to health uh, the best that I could but it was really challenging where I thought that I would get the help that I needed from agencies that enlist themselves like um, my dad was a veteran and um I was really aghast by like what our veterans don't get. It was just really sad, really enraging at times. <laughs> I remember having a social worker on the phone, um, mindless, you know, just like the outdated system or just the, the lack of willingness to give forth information. Like you, I really had to fight tooth and nail. Um, many phone calls, many, you know, like emotional moments and you know it was just a back and forth until like and I feel bad because if someone doesn't have like a veteran who doesn't have an advocate like someone like myself who was of good mind and health to really fight it's it's a, it's sad I can see why many veterans you know don't get the help they need so needless to say I was um I was also um I had to deal with a lot of crisis cleanup shall I say because <laughs> after my brother was um was murdered the house that you know I grew up in and um my dad and brother were living was ransacked and um you know by the police and so I had to kind of like it took me a while to um it took me about four years to clean that up like through all of that um and then getting it ready for sale and everything but I had to do that at the same time so it was like not only get myself back to health you know dealing with the the, the crisis <laughs> um uh, blow up and um and then just this new lifestyle. And then um, also, I, I really, I remember the beginning, I was, I was excited, you know, because I didn't get a chance to take care of my uh, mom. Um, there were challenges, but I feel like I went in in the best kind of attitude that I could of like, okay, well, you know, because he was, 
his health did decline um, towards the end, but he was getting better actually. Um, and one of the things I was excited about was because he was on like 13 different medications when I took him in and that was a challenge. I was like, okay, well, I got to make sure if I'm going to do anything um, holistically with him, I had to learn all of that end of it. So I don't, there weren't any contraindications of any like herbs that I was giving him or foods and stuff like that. And so um, it was, I know we'll be talking about like, <laughs> I knew you said you want to talk about challenges, but there were a lot of victories in it as well, which I really appreciate. I can't really talk about, you know, the challenges without talking about the victories because um, with each challenge came a victory, um, not always, but <laughs> I focus on the victories. And um, one of the greatest victories that I really appreciated uh, was that, um, and this wasn't even anything that I like, because there was so much that I had to deal with that I, I like even forgot to like ask my dad's doctor, hey, I'm trying to get him off of medication. Can you help us? No, I just basically changed his lifestyle. Food was, was the biggest thing and, you know, more activity didn't give, give him really much more of in the way of like herbs or like any kind of programs that I would give myself but just in that like I, I would think maybe in five years in uh, I was able to um, have his diabetes reversed the doctor was just incrementally like every time he went in she's like oh we can take him off of this we can lessen this we can lessen that and by the end of the time before I had to put him in nursing home at the end I had um he was only on two medications and so but he was a walking miracle like he he had um let's see he had like list all the things hypertension angina congestive heart failure renal insufficiency um diabetes alzheimer's um there's a couple more i'm forgetting but there were like crazy scares along the way i, I remember coming in one time and like I said, I had sometimes at one point I had a full-time job, but then like after a while I had to go to the part-time jobs. And then I'd be like, okay, I, I can only work from home. And, and like I said, the VA wasn't really helpful um, because they, I think I only got three half days where he, where he would go to adult day center and that was it. And maybe like eight hours of home care a week. I'm like, uh, so I had to be creative with like, how am I going to like, all right, do my job, um, or find a job, you know, and then make sure my dad's taken care of and watched after and his needs are met and 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 just really like, scheduling was a big thing like that was a big challenge i remember when i um i was i think it was beginning of taking care of him. i wanted to go to israel i had this whole elaborate schedule of like 20 something friends you know just like coming in coming out and everything so there's a lot of organization that um came to play and um i did go to school um for nurse tech to kind of myself understand all of that um and hope that i could get paid you know to take care of my dad but there was no programs around that time and i was praying i was like god you know like this should be something like this you know because there are so many people that need this i i, I did, of course realized i couldn't be the only person in this situation although it felt that way because not anyone in my um you know uh realm or in my you know uh, immediate circle yeah. thank you thank you so much <laughs> had that um because they're all young we're all young here i am in my early 30s and did feel lonely at times it did feel like no one's really going to understand although there were people there to um to encourage me in the best way that they could <laughs> that's as i can say um and i'm grateful for that because you know they're they're doing what they can but it's um i just recently went through something um this week i was trying to help my aunt in a crisis and it wasn't I couldn't do what she wanted me to do and what she needed me to do. 
And so any help that I could give her wasn't helpful. And it was just, it was just a mess. So um, it just helped me to realize that, okay, well, not everyone's going to be able to help you in the way that you need, but just be grateful that they're willing to help. And so that took a lot because um, I did take my dad. He was like my buddy. I would take him everywhere I could go as long as I could until I couldn't anymore. Um, and then um, it just got, it did get tougher and tougher towards the end, unfortunately, because with the Alzheimer's and, um, but he was getting healthier physically. Like I said, lost weight. A lot of the, um, Diseases were, I guess, reverting, like the diabetes, the hypertension, all of that. Um, so um, one of the greatest things that um, I really appreciate in this is like the, I could say the reconciliation of heart that I had with my dad. I never thought that we could ever live together. <laughs> he was part of the reason why I wasn't able to go back and take care of my mom. And so for me to take care of my dad, take him in, that was a miracle in itself because I was like, <laughs> there were some strongholds that I had to deal with <laughs> in my mind and my heart. Um, like, I remember that in the beginning and having lots of prayers of friends and being like, oh my gosh, help me. And um, but like I said, I tried to keep my attitude of like, okay, it's going to work out. You know, try to really have faith in everything. Um, those tough times, even through the times where ACH was called on me but by the VA because <laughs> they didn't like the fact that I put a complaint in with them. So at the first drop of a hat, they called ACH on me thinking that I was neglecting my dad. Like there were so many challenges that, but each of them were met with like, okay, I'm going to just trust that God's got this. It was emotional. Um, and it's interesting, like I said, I, a lot of my decisions, even in my own care, were based around my dad, you know, him in the equation. But I lost myself in that equation a lot. And I didn't realize that until like towards the very, I don't say very end, but like towards the end of it where my spiritual health really took a hit. It realized because it just kind of like, it's very insidious, you know, and you think, okay, well, I'm doing well physically, doing well mentally. Like you get into this like scheduling, controlling mindset that you're like, hold up, hold up. Like how much am I really doing well like spiritually because i know for me spiritually i have to have that under that, like that attitude of surrender that attitude of um you know the faith and you know and even just uh, okay am i caring for myself in the way and so i really i can't say <laughs> i won't go into all of the things as far as like what I, I felt that okay this really was a problem this was a problem that problem but it really caused me to walk away from God at one point, yeah. like foolishly. Like I say that just foolishly and you don't realize it until it happens. Right. right. And then you're like, Oh, okay. And that, that's all in my book. About that book. <laughs> so I won't talk anymore about that, but I guess the biggest challenge, um, like I said, was just making sure that, like you said, I take care of myself. And then making sure that I understand that even when the challenges come that, you know, like maybe I'm not, maybe I need help. Like, where can I get that help? And it, it is hard. It's very hard when you're someone who is giving the help. That's another thing too. And when I all of a sudden became that person that needed the help, it was very hard for me to ask for help. Cause I was like, uh, 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 don't know how to do this verbally, mentally, emotionally. Cause I'm just so used to taking care of things, taking care of things. Yep. And then, yeah. But like I said, the greatest thing was the reconciliation in, in my heart that God allowed towards the end. 
with my dad and that was like a beautiful thing like and it just kind of like those things that just kind of happen because you know, i'm putting my faith in god and allowing myself to grow allowing myself to um you know to um just take these challenges um, um with the faith that you know god's gonna work it out yeah. and so i guess in all of it you know one of the things that um i just keep thinking about is that i forgot my thoughts that this could not have happened if I didn't have my relationship with God Amen. by any means, by any means. And it did cause a little bit of, um, not a little bit of, a lot of uh, grief in my mind because of seeing my family go through things without a relationship with God. So that was a really hard thing for me, like really the, not really understanding God in the way that I had to help through those challenging times. So that was hard, but um, it's all with them. This I'll put some things, some more things will probably come out. I can talk forever and a day on this. So thank you for, for listening. Thank you for allowing me to share this. But um, if anything yeah. else pops up, because there is so much, like I said, that happened during that time. But the greatest thing was for me was to be able to give back, to, and but be able to um, understand. Okay, well, there's got to be this balance, and um, and I did learn a lot about trauma in the brain. Yeah, I. I was, as I told you, it happened to me 2004. Nobody really knew anything. The hospitals wanted to like do exploratory surgery on me. I was like, uh, no, uh, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's a, yeah, there's, there's a couple of things that I want to say. Thank you so much for being transparent and vulnerable and sharing. Um, that's what we are all about here at Behind the Mask. That's just it. We want to get behind the mask that we're wearing. And as T constantly is reminding us, not all masks are bad. Mm -hmm. Some of them are good and some of them we need. Um, and then others restrict us or hurt us or can become toxic or, you know, not allow us to live those authentic lives. So two big things. T, I, there's so many questions I want to ask you and, and have you respond to, but there's a very sensitive thing that I want to address because whether she knows it or not, I know what's going on in that head of hers over there. Um, and, and I feel like if she wants to, I want, I want EJ to be able to respond. Something that um, we're roomies now, uh, EJ and I are, and um, starting a new season of our life. And um EJ reminded me this morning, and I was with her last year during this time, that, and we didn't know this, Kathy, when we were setting all this up, but this is the anniversary of her father's death, just last year. So you talking about all of these things, I can just see it. I'm watching her. I was watching her as I'm listening to you, and I'm like, oh my gosh, poor EJ. Oh. Um just not in the, wow. in an insensitive way, but just in a in an emotional and I mean, gosh, we went through so much last year together, um, EJ, with with the wow. passing of your dad, and you were such a a, a huge part of his life too, mm -hmm. um, and and one of those caregivers of both of your parents, and so I know you very much get everything that. 
Kathy is talking about in a very real way. And, and in that same sense, I know T gets it because she's currently living it because she's caring for her spouse and who is, is sick. And, um, you know, I do love, and I do want to say this, I love the redeeming thing. I was given an opportunity with my own mother who I was not close with growing up. Um, there's so much drama and history there. Um, and, and kind of like you for, I hope different reasons. Um, uh, one of my biggest abusers had to come and ask me to help with her care. Um, and that was no easy task. Um, I do believe it was divinely set up by God. Um, my children had never spent 45 days, which they were supposed to do every summer, but they just, it just hadn't worked out until that point. They were gone for 45 days. I literally received a phone call less than 24 hours after they were on a plane and gone. And your mom is in the hospital. She's dying. Somebody's going to buy your plane ticket. Please get here. And I was in the middle of a domestic violence relationship. I mean, there was so much going on in my life. And I literally, God made it possible for me to drop everything and go. I ended up going home with her. She wasn't supposed to last like 72 hours. We, she got out of ICU and, and then we took her home, but she needed a lot more care than, and so I got asked to stay for the rest of the month. And, you know, the ex wasn't very happy about it, but I was already there and I made the choice. It was tough, but I made the choice and I stayed slept on an air mattress at the foot of her bed. And about three nights in, T knows this story, um, and it's in my book, but about three nights in, um, she's ringing this ridiculous cowbell that I began to hate. Um, because I, And I sit up in the bed and I'm like, mom, if I can't get sleep, I can't care for you. I need sleep, you know? <laughs> she bursts into tears. And we literally spent the rest of the night, this person that had hurt me so much, um, and a person that I had hurt so much, not even knowing it. Mm -hmm. um, we spent the whole night crying and laughing and asking each other for forgiveness. Wow. And then I got to spend the rest of a month and we got three more years. So now when I reflect back on my mother's death, and her passing, I actually have fond memories and good things and blessings. And it can be a beautiful thing, even if it doesn't start out to be that way. So yes, we, there is that purposeful, as Tina and I like to say, positivity. What can we get at? Where's the purposeful positivity in that relationship? And that was it. And so it really was a beautiful silver lining. So um, EJ, I invite you at this time to just maybe share a little bit about how you're feeling and what's going on in that head of yours, because I, it's all over your face. So, yeah. Um, yeah. When you guys were talking about this, 
<clears throat> I hadn't really put together the, the dates yet. I mean, I knew it was coming up. And I know I've talked about it on the podcast before, you know, that I took care of my mom and I was, I was trying to do the math in my head. And I think I was about 27 when she was first diagnosed with cancer. And then she, like, it was maybe six months. And then she was basically given a clean bill of health. And then two years later, I was close to 30 and she was diagnosed with metastatic cancer. Um, I mean, diagnosed it originally with cervical it had spread. She had some in her lungs. She had some in her uterus, you know, so it was basically a really gyne gynecologic cancer. And, um, you know, so she, that really took her down like really bad. Um, and I, and at the same time, my dad had lost his first leg. And so he was in the basement of the house on the, the lower level because it was easy access for the wheelchair to get out to the car, to take him to an appointment. And then my mom was upstairs on the couch. So I had, I, I honestly, it felt like I went from being an only child to um, a, a mother of two, a single mother of two, um, because I was literally taking care of both of them at the same time. And I lost myself in that. I mean, I like, I didn't have a lot of friends. I mean, and I didn't keep in touch with a ton of friends from high school. I had my own thing. I was, I had a lot of online friends. I wasn't doing a lot of going out because um, I'm an introvert. So I'm fine being at home and I was an only child. So I was used to like, I grew up, you know, not always having friends around. And I mean, I had friends. I went out and played in the kid, with the kids in the neighborhood and stuff. It just, you know, I, that's not me. Like I'm happily, happy as a clam by myself. So just having to take care of it. And I, I remember like taking my mom to chemo several times and like we would usually go into the doctor on like a Monday and then Tuesday she'd do chemo because usually like depending on the scheduling like chemo would take like four to six to eight hours so they'd have to start really early in the morning but usually her appointment was in like the middle of the day so we couldn't get started so I remember going into the chemo days and the nurses would call me my mom's manager because I knew exactly what dose they'd given her the day before, what the doctor had suggested, what this, what that. Like I knew everything the doctor had in his notes without even looking at the notes that he wrote because I remember everything that the doctor had said. And so they joked about me being her manager, but they were happy that, you know, because there's a lot of people that go in there on their own, like that don't have any support from family. And as a caregiver myself, I've witnessed several clients who don't have family members involved in their care at all like, or don't even have contact with children. And it's like, you know, at 60, 70, 80 years old and you have no contact with your children, that's like really terrible. I mean, that's when caregivers, like as, like as a paid caregiver, that's where we come in and it's like that we become like caregivers, you know, like we, and we're there and we're emotional support. We're, you know, you know, we're like, we're there. And so then, you know, as mom got sicker and her health changed, dad was kind of, in and out of the hospital and so was mom so there was like a two-year time where I was taking care of both of them and I was I was in my early 30s um you know none of my friends that I did have could understand it because you know and then I had other people you know older adults who were friends of my parents that would be like well you need to get out more you need to get a boyfriend you need to get a husband you need you know you need to have a life and it's like I don't even have time to like shower on a regular basis so like <laughs> you know, how, how am I going to, you know, consider going out and, you know, and so 
I remember when my mom did pass away, you know, that was, it was a struggle. And then it was me and dad for like eight months. And then I'd been reached out to for the church and I'd started going to services and stuff. And then he, his other leg, regardless of how he wanted to be it treated, it was getting bad too. It was the same thing that had happened with the first one. So unfortunately in early like 2015, he lost his other leg and I had to make the difficult decision as to whether or not he would come home from hospital slash rehab. And they were training me on how to use the lift because he was a larger guy and I couldn't lift him by myself and I was going to be his full caregiver. And it just got to a point where a nurse was like, you can't take care of him by, by yourself. And I had to make the decision to keep him in the facility. And I'll be honest, like the first four years, four-ish years he was there, never went to the hospital, you know, I mean, granted he did have, you know, roommates in and out and he was just an honorary guy. And he's, you know, just, I joke about him being a yard bird. Cause you know, around here, he worked in the shipyard, you know, the F this, he's a sailor, you know, so there's, you know, all those things you hear about, like my dad was it. So he was very always, hard to do. Aaron, with. I always thought of your dad as one of the grumpy old men. Yes, that is exactly <laughs> he was so what much, he was. Yeah, but he was a hood. I loved him. He was yes. so much fun. Um, and so, you know, it, like, and, by having him in the facility, I was able to have, um, rebuild a relationship with him as my dad and not as a caregiver because for like eight months, I was more like, you have to do this. You have to do this. Don't forget to take your medication. So there's real no relationship there. And then things started changing. His health started to decline. But last year, it was like early June, he was going to go to the hospital. Now, mind you, in June, I'd seen him once in 14 months right. because of COVID. COVID, yeah. And so I had no idea. I was talking to him regularly on the phone. Like I'd call him at least twice a week or he'd call me. And had no idea what was wrong. If even they didn't even know. And they were like, he's just not acting himself. This isn't like him. You know, we know him. Five weeks later, he's dying of kidney failure. And it was so shocking. Because we didn't know it was even a thing. He'd never had any issues with kidneys before. And through the, you know, the last, like, afterwards, we kind of figured out that more than likely, one of his kidneys had failed sooner. And so the other one had picked up the slack. And then that one started to fail. And by then it was too late. Because that's kind of what your kidneys do since you have two of them. They kind of work together. And then one picks up the slack when the other one's not working as well. Um... Yeah, so stuff. That was a year ago. Thanks for sharing, EJ. I know so I just really wanted to to give you that space. You know, when you and I were chatting this morning, I was like, "Oh my goodness, I can't believe that was a year ago." Yeah. Thank you so you much. Know, 
but again, you know, the blessings in disguise, you know, um, he's not suffering and he hated it at the facility, but they were great people. They took care of him. And, and it's okay you know, to it's, be sad. It's okay yeah. to be sad. Like you're allowed to be, I want you to know yeah. that. Like it's only your, and, and as long as you need to be, I want yeah. to say like one of the greatest advice that I've got from someone who, who I really respect spiritually, because you, know, you think, oh, I got to be okay. Cause you know, you're like, you're the caregiver, whatever. I got to be okay. I got to be the strong one, whatever, whenever death happens. But one of the greatest pieces of advice is like, take as long as you need. And I was like, what, yeah. what, what, what do you mean? <laughs> I got to, uh, oh, okay. And I had to keep that in there. I mean, not that I need to belabor it or whatever, because we know that there's growth behind that and stuff like that. With my work towards growth. I still have unresolved grief that I have to deal with. Oddly enough, when I was trained, um, I can only get help in my grief when I had to, when I trained myself in grief recovery, like God made a way. I won't go into the ins and outs, but like, I was like, no one's willing to like do this with me. But so God brought it to me and I did it on my dad. He was still living, you know, because it was the grief of that relationship that you mentioned, EJ, it's like, okay, well now I'm the caregiver. I always call myself, I'm, I'm a sing, I'm a, you know, there's like single mom. I'm like, I'm a single daughter. I'm like, I was like, I'm going to start a single daughter group in the church, <laughs> but, there, yeah. but there was only me. Yeah. <laughs> right? Too bad you and EJ didn't know each other at the time. <laughs> I know, right? oh, I, uh, yeah, I know. Right. Cause my dad passed in 2005, but I just want to, I love what you said. You're like, just like being on top of the notes or whatever. Like we understand that because we're both trained and stuff like that. And I had like nurse shot. When I put my dad in for respite, I came and I had like these input output notes. I had everything like color coded, you know, everything that he was on, wasn't on, when it started, when it stopped, da, 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 you know. And she would look at him and went, we got it. Don't worry about it. We got it. And I was like, but um, can you, can you make sure? <laughs> and, right. and it was like another VA like facility that was connected. And she had like questions. Long story short, I went on respite, like, it wasn't until, like, 10 years in. I, I finally got a respite vacation. They nearly shut his kidneys down because they, they gave him medication. That I told her, do not give this to him. It is discontinued. Look at the notes. Oh, we've got it. We've got it. Anyway, yeah. that aside. But t having notes is, I mean, they appreciate it, but, you know. Yeah. And then the advocate, like, I right. love that you put that because I saw that. And, like, when I was in the nursing home, one of the, I felt like I was the advocate for everybody there because I was right. the only lucid one. I'm like, I can see yeah. you. I know what you're doing. <laughs> like, I'm lucid over here. Do you? They get so used to. There's some good ones, but then there's some bad ones, and I hopefully they've you know they they're getting better. But I, there's still stories I hear of people today. Like I'm like, oh yeah. I won't even get into like the, you know um, why people get into that profession or whatever. But um, well, and I think too, I you know you mentioned. <clears throat> not liking it. I know, <clears throat> excuse me, my dad wasn't a fan of being there. Mm -hmm. But of the horror stories that I heard of skilled nursing facilities, the one he was in, I didn't hear those of. Good. Um, Good. And I mean, sure, there were some things that I would question. And like, usually my dad was the instigator of the issues. <laughs> I mean, Lori, when Lori and I first lived together. Um, I remember getting some calls like, you know, can you come over? And it would be, uh, well, we're moving your dad to another room. Like, okay. And it wasn't a, just because of, a, you know, needing to move around rooms. It was because he cussed at the, the, the roommate and the roommate didn't like it. So they had to separate him. And oh, my dad and him should have been roommates. They would have been perfect. 
Yes. Like I said, always reminding me of the grumpy old, grumpy old men, you know? And like, oh, you, they were so and, funny. And, and I would ask my dad, you know, are they, you know, you know, when you need change, you know, because unfortunately, because my dad was a larger guy, he couldn't slide in and out of bed even with no legs um, because he was a larger guy. So unfortunately, he was basically bedridden. And so I was always, you know, asking, like, are they changing you on a regular basis? You know, just checking in. He's like, yeah, it's fine. And he, you know, he was just kind of like, ah, whatever. And he was like, he'd sit and watch TV. He'd enjoyed it that he and I were a lot of like, he's an introvert. I'm an introvert. So being, you know, on his own was fine. And, you know, he didn't want visitors. And so I would, you know, go in on a weekend and see him and spend some time with him. And, you know, you know, we had had a whole bunch of stuff I was going through to get rid of and, you know, saying, taking stuff like, Hey, do you want any of this? And, you know, so it was just, it was a different experience, but I got to know a lot of the nurses and the doctors and the caregivers that were there. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was one of the few family members that visited on a regular basis. So Mm -hmm. I could keep an eye on that stuff. Yeah. (laughs) But there are other people who like their family members put them in a home and then I know six months later might show up for an hour visit, you know, and it's like, yeah, how can you do that to your family? And I get it. It's just, but it's still like, I'm grateful for being able to do that and to show them that there are family members that actually do give us, you know, give a care. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also in that time, I really wasn't taking care of myself Yeah, because I was so focused on dad. And it's so weird. Like, so he passed away and then like a month and a half ago is when Lori and I started talking about, well, maybe I should move in with her and, you know, move across the state, uproot my life. And I'm like, well, I guess as long as I've got my parents' ashes, wherever I go, it's, oh. it's fine. <laughs> I hear you. So, um, yeah. it's so, be a while to bury my dad's ashes, but yeah, take your time, girl. Take your, yeah, take your time. Um, T, I want to invite you at this time to... To, I, I know you have much to share and then please um, help us understand some of this from the, uh, the professional perspective. Can I ask one thing to you that you can make, you might've already thought about this or whatever, cause I was going to ask EJ if she felt she's feeling this, but I realized even now, but like, of course, like the first three years more, more so that I had to really work at getting myself out of this crisis mindset um, and so it did lead to a lot of procrastination, but then also like alarm, like, a, so like, yeah, I'm still working today to try to get myself out of a crisis mindset. Like I can only operate in the crisis mode, you know, and it's so, uh, but it, it's tricky. So it, it is. And, and sometimes when you're dealing with complex stress and, you know, trauma and different things like that, um, it's very complicated. And well, a lot of times what happens is our amygdala, which is our fear center, that's the part of our brain that keeps us on, on alert, that makes us able to respond to danger, um, And it, but it affects our body. It turns a lot of things on in our body that's good in the moment, but over long term is not good. So for example, it gets our our breathing rate up. We have to breathe fast because we got to get a lot of oxygen into our blood, our heart rate pumps up and then it deter the amygdala determines that there's certain parts of our brain and body that shouldn't get the blood flow and so um like the front part of our brain that's in charge of making decisions it's in charge of uh managing our behaviors and whatnot and then it gets our massive muscles up 
up and going because we got to run or we got to fight. And so, but then it shuts down other things like our digestive system. Our that's why when you're under um, a lot of stress or you're very afraid, you feel you either feel like you need to or you do pee yourself <laughs> because our bladder's not needed. Uh, during an emergency. So it's like evacuate everything. You're not needed right now. And if that's happened over and over again, over a long period of time, it really takes a large toll on our bodies, on our mind. Um, but then if it's also going on over a long period of time, it's like priming the pump. It keeps that amygdala running. So the more stress, the more trauma, the more easy it is to turn back on. So a lot of times people start feeling like they operate best when they're under stress. Uh, because it's just what, what, what you're used to under those circumstances. So, um, uh, that's why I like what you, you're talking about, Kathy, is that this holistic view of, of, it's not just taking care of your mind, it's taking care of your emotions, your body. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. And each person is different of where they sh should start because we're all different. We, we do things differently. And, um, so being ready and able to kind of explore what works for each person. But I would say that under the circumstances, like what you described, described, Kathy, you didn't just have one thing going on. You had multiple going things on things going on. And I think that happens a lot for caregivers because especially if you're caregiving for family, because uh, a caregiver who gets paid technically can um, uh, check out like, you know, time's up. I'm going home. Um, technically now that doesn't always happen. And, 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 uh, especially, you know, with what I do sometimes my drive home, I'm processing my clients that day, you know, and I've got a lot of really stressful clients right now. So, um, and, uh, so, but tech, you know, people ask, well, how do you do what you do? Well, tech, you know, technically I, you know, I, I hit a punch card at the end of the day and I go home. Right technically. So that's, you know, if I can keep that mindset, that helps me be able to, to manage all those crises that I've had to deal with all day. Um, so can, I um, can I, I, can I ask you a question? Yes, ma'am. Personal question. <laughs> what? No. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'd love to draw you out a little um, because we rely on you so much for your technical you know, professional knowledge, but you're one of my other besties. And I know that even though you get to clock out, Thank that's, you. that's the term I was looking for. Mm -hmm. uh, that is far from the only caregiving you're doing. Right. And so then you go home mm -hmm. and you don't really get to rest. You don't really get to shut down because you're a mom your grandma, your spouse, and your spouse happens to be sick. I mean, we've even been dealing with some of that this morning. You yes. Know, he's, he's going through some stuff. And so how, how are you dealing with that? And how are things going, going for you? Um, sometimes I remember to take the advice I give. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. 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 Um, so it's each thing is, has its place, right? Yeah. So I guess you, I would say I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing most of the time. You are. Um, 
So at the, you know, at the end of the day, I can still care what's going on with my clients' lives. And I've got a couple of big, big, big uh, cases right now um, that are a little bit more taking a toll. So there's an awareness knowing that that's going to take a toll. Um, there's an awareness of what my limitations are and being able to accept that. And that's my own journey. That's the, that's the thing that I have to work on. Um, yeah, his, you know, I'm also, it's kind of that counting the blessings that we've all talked about throughout this. So in the case of my husband, um, yes, I am technically his caregiver in a lot of different ways, um, but his cancer doesn't typically debilitate him, typically. Uh, so he's able to do, so I don't have to like feed him. I don't have to do those type of things. Um, but the, it, there is an emotional toll because watching him having to go through it, uh, each step of it, that's the, that's the um, heavy part, right? Yeah. And so um, just trying to keep perspective on that. Um, I think, you know, and then there's the, everything that's going on in the world impacts my family. Uh, so I have a, a child with her children <laughs> and her a significant other living with us as well and there's challenges in that so there's balancing that and I have another child who's always in financial struggles struggles so I'm having to try to help with that when I'm under my own and so you know and then another kiddo dealing with custody issues and and stuff like that and whatnot so it's it's recognizing that there that is a lot right mm -hmm. that is a lot um so usually there's a lot of God intervention happening for me. <laughs> um, and I and love it when you and I get to touch base and we just get to be moms together and we, you know, like our kids grew up together. And so we kind yep. of know some of this. I, I'm so blessed and I encourage everybody in their lives, you know, to have those people. You, I call it my tribe. Um, you got to have your tribe. You got to have those touchstones, those, those safe when if you people think, in that circle, because otherwise if, you will go crazy. Yeah. If you think about a tribe or a village, um, there are roles. Everybody has a role. And that's also the other thing too, is I know who my friends are and I know, uh, like if I need a shoulder. I know who to call. If I need someone to pick my energy up because they tend to just run on high energy. <laughs> Lori. Um, anyway, <clears throat> yep. I know to just, uh, you know, to call or to hang out or whatever, because like EJ, I'm an introvert, which is kind of surprising considering the work I do and the things I like mm -hmm. to do, but I am an introvert. I recharge with my own headspace. And so I always make sure to give myself some time for that. And I know when I don't, because I get very irritable. Um, uh, so those are uh, some big, just some bit, some parts of it is just knowing who, who is who in your life and, and what can they be there for? And just because like, I may not choose to cry on this person's shoulder because for whatever reason, doesn't mean I respect them any less. They just have a different role in my life. And, mm -hmm. and so there's kind of building that understanding of that. Um, also I have social anxiety, <laughs> which is just ironic. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. I, and so yeah. I have to be aware of that. I have to be aware of when, when I'm recharging because I'm an introvert or, and, um, with some extrovert 
qualities, but I also have social anxiety. So I have to know the difference. So is, is this a reaction? Am I isolating myself because I need some alone time or am I isolating myself because of that anxiety? If it's because of that anxiety, it's not going to do me any good because now that anxiety is taken over and that part of the brain starts taking off and I'm not going to be responding from a thoughtful place. So um, there's a lot of that. And another piece I wanted to share that kind of popped up at the beginning of this podcast, uh, we were talking about caregiving and how women tend to be caregivers just naturally. Um, uh, there's a little bit of science that I like to share on that because I find it hilarious. Um, so women have higher levels of oxytocin. And oxytocin exists in most mammals, well, pretty much all mammals to some degree or other. It is what keeps the mother from eating her young. Yeah. So I, when my kids were teenagers and I learned about it because I went to school, my kids were teens and I learned about this and I got so excited to share it with them <laughs> and I, and I taught it to them and I said, okay, so, you know, when, when mothers give birth, they, their oxytocins get really, you know, we get flooded with oxytocin. So we want to protect our young and not eat them. And then after that, anytime they annoyed me, I would tell them, look, you're ticking me off and my oxytocin levels are low. So, and I'm getting hungry. <laughs> I would do the same thing. I really, that's funny. <laughs> so, don't, yeah. don't lower my oxytocin. Step away. Yeah. Step away. I'm getting hungry and my oxytocin is running low. So uh, yeah, so that was just something I wanted, wanted to share that we do. Men have it too. Men have oxytocin too. It's what makes them want to protect their young, like to go out and, and protect. And that combined with their testosterone makes them, uh, are protectors that that drives that and um you know our oxytocin combined with other things makes us nurturing so thank just you a little for bit. bringing the signs back yeah in. i love I the love science love i'm it, like i'm it. like back in school this is great i know isn't it great <laughs> i'm like yes i yes i know that yes. <laughs> I, re I retained it oddly oddly enough <laughs> yes yes well i know we have so much more to talk about but we um knew that this was going to be a, a really huge conversation. And so um, we would like to invite you to come back, Miss Kathy, in the next um, podcast, where we'll really dive into some of that self-care and all of the things. How do we really get through these crisis modes? How do we, how do we still honor and use the the gifts and the science right the nurturing that we have and yet also take care of ourselves yeah so i'd love for us to continue this conversation um i'd love and to. wonderful we would love to have yeah, you thank back. you no i appreciate so, thank you no because i, I you i'm looking forward to it today wonderful so um ej we always look to you for your professional intros and outros and and helping us move along and and I know that this was a a tough episode for you because of the timing of it so I thank you so much for your heart your heart to serve us and to experience it with us and to you know you're like my lifeline um and I'm so grateful to have you in my life so 
Um, things for being there with the expertise, but also just being your authentic self and, and letting your hair down, so to speak, and just hanging out with us because um, I, I know it enriches my life and I believe it enriches everybody else's too. So oh, thank you. Can thank I say you. one thing? Yes. Because I think it's very important uh, because, you know, just in this podcast uh, and then what we're moving into, um, one of the best things we can do in, in self-care is talk about it. And that's why I was so excited that you guys are willing. Cause I was like, yes, this is like ordained by the Holy spirit. I feel like, and so I, so thank you. And I just wanted to encourage all of you, you know, that this is part of the caregiving that we need as caregivers is right. talking about it, you know, recognizing it. Like you said, T it was like recognizing that it's a lot for many years. People were like, Oh, you're going through a lot. I'm like, what, what, what? Like I would, it would be a foreign concept for me for the longest time. And so finally when I did, I was like, Oh, Okay. And then I started talking about it. And then from there, it just, you know, escalated to, I guess, benefit me or whatever. And so, yeah. So know that this is a part of it. This is the beginning. Right. Thank reminds, you for letting me be a part of it. Yes. It reminds me, um, I, I know oftentimes we like to share a scripture. This one really, I feel touches on the Jeremiah 29, 11, mm -hmm. where I know the plans I have for you declares the mm -hmm. Lord. They're plans of peace and prosperity and not to harm you. But sometimes when we're stuck in these cycles and we're stuck in these things, it's difficult to remember that, you know? And mm -hmm. so I encourage us all to remember those divine things and those spiritual things and stay, stay in touch with that as much as possible um, because it really is the best, the best place to draw our strength from. So um, do you mind if I share a scripture that helps yeah. me through it a lot? Right okay. Ahead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Go for it's it. One of my fave, one of my fave. Um, Isaiah 43. I'll just start in one. It says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You're mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And though the rivers, yeah, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And it goes on about, you know, him giving exchange for us and how precious we are. And that I had to hold on to that because I was like, oh, I'm being swallowed. <laughs> right? Like God's right. Me. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you so much, ladies. This has been a great, great podcast. So thank you. All right, EJ, you're up. Um, well, I think if you're keeping track, it's up to three. So if you're starting a drinking jam, it's a, how many times EJ will cry on the podcast? It's, I think, three. <laughs> <clears throat> so yeah. Yay, cry away. <laughs> um I don't I, I, it's not awesome. that I, I I see crying as a weakness because it's not I just I don't like crying around people EJ um, I'm labeled the crier I'm known in my circle as the crier and I don't care <laughs> um yeah so um yeah so I'm looking forward to chatting a little bit hopefully not crying next week um yeah this you know and it's definitely a heavy topic and there's a lot to talk about about it you know and I'm sure we'll tackle caregiving in a, another different aspect again in the future and um I know T kind of touched on it about the clocking in and clocking out because I've experienced both and I and I've been told and I and I've experienced enough that I've can truly say taking care of somebody you're biologically related to is the hardest of caregiving like it's easier to caregive for somebody that is not your biological family whether it's parent child you know, adult, grandparent, um, 
because it's just, you know, and I, I have friends that took care of aunts and uncles because they didn't have any children. And so it's, that's, that's harder um, because you really can't disconnect from that. Um, yep. So, yeah. So tears are the truest and deepest form of worship. And it just shows that you care deeply. Yeah. So it is, right. don't, be, and don't be afraid of it. And don't, don't feel like as if, if anyone doesn't understand it, that's on them. Amen. Right. Amen. Um, well, just a friendly reminder that anything discussed in this podcast should not be used as a diagnosis or a replacement for conversations with your own doctors, therapists, psychologists, or other medical professionals. This episode will be available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as Behind the Mask PC. If you don't use social media, you can also email us at behindthemaskpc at gmail.com because we'd love to hear what you think of the podcast. You can also find the podcast on YouTube as Behind the Mask Podcast. We'd love for you to subscribe and like the videos so we know which ones you like and uh, for the content we'll keep bringing you. Um, if there's a topic that you'd also like us to talk about, let us know and we will uh, see about making it happen. You can find me, EJ, on Twitter and Instagram as EJ8302. And you'll uh, uh, soon be seeing the EJ's Downtime mentioned. So you can check me out as EJ's Downtime, EJS Downtime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and I will have a YouTube channel getting going here soon. T's other podcast is Our Journey with Jesus. You can find that on Facebook, and you can also see the link tree and the link um, in the description uh, for the podcast here. Um, you can find Lori on Twitter as Carpe Sparrow Lori L, and on Instagram and Facebook as Carpe, Carpe Sparrow Lori Lee. And on behalf of the ladies and myself, thank you, Kathy, for joining us, and I look forward to our next podcast, and we will talk to you all next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. 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 <laughs>